0: Okay, guys, we're ready. Five, four, three, two, one. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hello, and thank you again for tuning in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. This is where uh, friends, family, all kinds of interesting people have decided that they're going to share their wisdom and their life lessons with you to help you be the best person you can, get you from where you are now to where you want to be. So here's the question today that we're going to play around with. There's a whole lot of conversation in the the world around, in the business world around having a seat at the table, having, uh, being at the decision-making table, and also the emerging or morphing or evolving, whichever word makes you feel comfortable, Um, belief around allyship. And what does that mean? And what does it take? And how can I be an ally? How do I know I'm crossing over the lines? I mean, just lots and lots of, you know, people are trying to figure out how to do it right, how to bring diversity, and particularly the promise of diversity to the workplace, to their lives, to their neighborhoods, etc. But we seem to keep tripping over ourselves in terms of conversations and, you know, ultimately, why can't we get this right? So that's kind of where we're at today. And I wanted to dive a little bit deeper with my friend, Deetra. Hello, Deetra. Hello, 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 everyone. How are you all? Oh, we are fine. Fabulous, you know. Well, just a little bit about Deetra. You know, this is a lady who speaks everywhere. She's uh, been on TED Talks, and you can look her up. She's a TED, a four-time TED speaker, and ranked, um, in, by engagingly top 100 influencers. So she's she's pretty badass in this world. <laughs> That's not to say anything else. She's just play badass, okay. <laughs> She's done high-end companies like Louis Vuitton, Monet, which is my favorite, Hennessy, I'm sure is your favorite, Kaiser Permanente, and the Centers for Disease Control, who could probably use some assistance in diversity right about now. True story, true story. Oh, she's a top-ranked speaker at National SHRM, Society for Human Resources Management, um, where she's been delivering presentations that help build accountable teams and increases um, productivity. So uh, that's the background. So you can all, and and you guys know, anybody I get on the show, they got something to talk about. So we're going to talk today with her. But first, let's, let's get to know Deidre a little bit. So what's your superpower?
1: Oh, when you have to narrow it down to one, I would say my superpower is being able to see in people what they don't see in themselves and then to push them towards achieving it. And most often it's very uncomfortable, right? So it, mm-hmm. when I acknowledged it was my superpower, I also had to acknowledge that it wouldn't always be easy for people to deal with it as a superpower, as most people, as most of our superpower folks you get to see in, in the movies, right? Mm-hmm. When they first find out they have a superpower, it's disturbing for them and others. Mm-hmm. But there's always been a little something along the way letting them know that that was their superpower. And so that was the same for me, recognizing, you know what? I see something in that person. They don't necessarily see it in themselves, Mm -hmm. but I can't live my life not
0: bringing that out. Mm. So that's gotta be tough. because That's what I call feedback. (laughs) And we seem to be having a difficult time in workplaces, giving good, constructive, um, and particularly recognition feedback. So oh, how absolutely. did you learn how did how did you learn to to leverage your superpower?
1: Oh that's a good question. I learned probably the hard way mm-hmm. um it was it was more about learning how to give the feedback as opposed to how to really use the superpower because what I recognize is that people can accept almost anything if you present it the right way right mm-hmm so we have the, the old kid, kid song, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Well, the medicine doesn't taste any better. The sugar just helps it helps the people take it a little bit better. Yeah. So I really had to learn how to take the message that wasn't desirable and wrap it in something that was, and that was what took the longest about kind of really learning how to apply my superpower.
0: So, so, all right, that's, that's like everybody, you know, it, I want to have the best impact. And that's kind of the undergirth of what diversity is about. People are offering, because I believe, you know, as much as we might see on the news and and uh, TikTok and some of these other places, the majority of people really want to do better. They don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm just going to be a you know a crazy person today or I'm not going to do my best. They, they wake up to say, I want to do the best. And for the most part, Feedback is a huge part of us being our best in a workplace because we're trying to build um, collaborative, functional relationships in the workplace. We want to be liked, all those wonderful things. But as a manager and sometimes as a coworker, we have to give some feedback. It's important in setting boundaries, it's important in inspiring people, it's important as goal setting. How did you learn to give good feedback?
1: One, I had to step back and a part of what you said is, you know, people want to do their and be their best. And I I believe that. But what I also believe is that many people don't run down what it takes to be the best. Mm-hmm. And when you have to break that down for them, a lot of times they do decide I don't really want to be my best. <laughs> I'm not gonna go there. Right, I'm not, I really, I I remember in high school, I ran track, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had a social life and I was pretty darn good. I just had a natural ability to run. But then what I found out is that I was also a trained dancer. And if you know anything about the body, how it works, certain exercises do things to open you up and certain th- exercises do things to close you up. Well, running closes your hips Well, ex- dancing opens it up. Mm-hmm. To be the best runner I could possibly possibly be, I recognized I got to a point where both of my instructors said, my dance instructor said, you got to stop running.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And my track coach said, you got to stop dancing mm-hmm. because they're working counter to each other. And so when someone said, hey, don't you want, if in abstract, Deetra, don't you want to be the best runner you could be? Absolutely. Do you want to give up dance? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And so what I had to learn in applying that is once I have to break down what it requ- what's required to be the best, everyone doesn't always want to be the best. Mm-hmm. And so when I began to use my skill, I began to say, it's not just about asking them in this abstract what they want to be, it's giving them the real life step-by-step tangibles of what they say they want and giving them the freedom and license to decide if that's truly what they want to be. And oftentimes when we're giving people feedback, we don't give them that feedback from a point of, is this really what you want? And saying this, a full picture of what this actually
0: requires. And when you break it down, sometimes the answer is no, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the aspiration. It's always the carrot, isn't it? We put out the carrot thinking that, and it's from my point of view. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you're right. If I, Tell people what it takes to be a good leader before they get into those shoes. A lot of them probably would say, you know, I think I'm pretty happy being an individual contributor and occasionally, you know, taking on the leadership of a project. But this idea of being a quote unquote leader in an organization, holding the role of being a leader, it's a little bit much for me.
1: I think that's what you see right now in an industry where we have a generation of employees deciding I'm opting out of being in leadership. They're Mm -hmm. seeing what these leaders have to do. And of course, the idea of making more money and having this nice, flashy title sounds good. But the idea of working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. The idea of missing your kids' t-ball games, the idea of not being able to go on that girls' trip, the idea of less hustle and no sleep—they're opting out of that. And so you're seeing people that are starting to step back and say, "You know what? Do I really aspire to the thing that I've been told I should aspire to?"
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's I started uh, our conversation or the conversation put out as you know this whole area of dei and diversity equity and inclusion for those of you who are new to the podcast itself and this idea of leadership and why we haven't made better progress more progress it isn't coming it doesn't feel like it's coming together what are your thoughts on that
1: so i i think when it comes to dei There are so many things, (laughs) so many reasons we don't, we aren't really making the progress we should be making. One of them is that we, especially those of us who are DEI professionals, we operate under the assumption that everyone knows what we're talking about. Mm. And when I go to places, many people don't, many people don't know the difference between diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're, They're at a loss. Like, what's the difference between those two, right? Okay. So that's the first part of it. We're talking a language that other people that need to hear it don't even understand. Mm -hmm. Then secondly, what often what I've seen happen with DEI over the years, because I tell people I am floppy disk DEI. Um, (laughs) My very, I was doing a clean out of my book closet and I'm that kind of nerd. Yes, I have a book closet, not a bookshelf. And As I was clearing out my closet, I saw one of my very first DEI manuals for training, and it literally had a floppy disk taped in the back (laughs) of the manual. So that's how long I've been in DEI, right? So I'm, I'm true. But what I recognize is what we have in DEI, especially with organizations and even societally, we have these catalysts that cause this immediate burst of concern around DEI. And what we know about catalysts is that they don't last long. Mm -hmm. And so this flame that ignites almost instantly, people have a short attention span. You have another viral TikTok and that, that thing has gone away. And so what we find is that in those moments where we have this catalyst, we go hard but we go so hard when that happens that we don't have a consistent method for actually growing our DEI practices and systems. And so we struggle. They never truly get traction.
0: Hmm. So what, so has it evolved? I mean, have you seen the evolution you've been in a while? And if you had to kind of paint the picture of the evolution, what is it?
1: I say we've seen the evolution, but we have to recognize that when we talk about DEI, we have two camps, right? We have camp. We've come a long way, and we have camp. We have a long way to go. Okay. And those camps often don't meet in the middle with the with something that makes sense for each of them. Because if you see it as, oh my gosh, we've come so far, you're celebrating. You're like pat on the back. Look at all we've done. But when you're looking at it from we have so far to go. You're looking at it from, I've been marginalized all this time, and you're still telling me to wait to get to the goal line, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's difficult to bring those two views together because we have come a long way. But oh my gosh, coming a long way only sounds good when you come coming from some place you were supposed to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. And we were never supposed to be in that place, mm-hmm. and that's why we have the disconnect. The other part is something you mentioned earlier. We talk about allyship. We've accepted terms that really aren't acceptable for the the struggle and the fight that we're actually in. And so what do you people, mean by that?
0: Oh my goodness. I, Wait I a minute. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down.
1: <laughs> what? I know. I am that rebel that's like, no, allyship isn't it. Because think about allies outside of the EI. Think about allies in the generic sense. Allies are simply your current friends who could be enemies tomorrow. Mm. Think about how we do international relations. We have ally, country allies who we could be bombing next month because tomorrow they're on the side of someone who is not our ally and we're no longer friends anymore. So Mm -hmm. allyship is momentary, Okay, right? So I'll give you a great example of how allyship has not always served us well. Think about it. If I ask the general question, when did women get the right to vote? The natural answer that if you Google it right now, when did women get the right to vote? 1920 is going to come up yeah. for women getting the right to vote. Is that it really? Because black women couldn't vote until 1965.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if all of us couldn't vote, we couldn't vote.
0: Mm-hmm. So women
1: did not get the right to vote until 1965.
0: Mm-hmm. Yet.
1: We're very comfortable saying 1920. As, as a matter of fact, those people will argue me down. Of course it was 1920. It wasn't. It's mm-hmm. 1965. But guess what? We had an allyship during the women's suffrage movement. I'm a member of a sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. We were yep. right there for women's suffrage. And they were our allies until it was no longer beneficial. And mm-hmm. so we go from 1920 to 1965, because allyship wasn't beneficial to us. What we need is allegiance. Allegiance says, I am aligned to you even when it doesn't necessarily benefit me.
0: Whoa, so wait funny. a minute. Say that again.
1: Say that again. Yeah. Allegiance says I'm aligned with you even when it doesn't necessarily benefit me. And that's the piece that we're missing. We have allyship down pat because it's beneficial. Oh, it's beneficial for us all to march together for us to get our rights. Even now, think about how we can say women's equal payday is in March.
0: Mm-hmm. Is
1: it? No because black women's equal payday doesn't happen until September and our latina sisters don't get equal pay until December 8th how can mm. we comfortably say that women's equal pay day is in March mm-hmm. because we have allyship and allyship makes it okay to say that
0: mhm mhm so when when does when does this come together i mean it's i i love i like the idea or at least i don't know if i like the idea but it certainly settled in my in my soul in my spirit what you said about you know this idea of us having allegiance and yet I'm not quite sure I see allegiance in the as you as the professional DEI training or or that industry if you want to just say it as an industry there's all kinds of messages coming out of there that don't demonstrate what you've just said as allegiance in it. And, and even down to, you know, one of the things I keep struggling with is, is that when we start talking about DEI, we immediately think of only two spectrums. It's either women or it's black, black people. And then we're kind of putting gender in there and we're kind of putting, you know, ethnicity in there. We're kinda, but when you look at the curriculum for most, or at least what I see, it's heavy on um, Black Americans, and I'm only going to say Black Americans because the Haitian experience, the Caribbean experience, the um, Latina, Afro-Latina experience is very different. Don't hear much conversation about that um, and how they, how, how does that show up? Why isn't the DEI community or industry creating ally ships? Or are they? And we just don't see it. I think we are and we don't see it because okay.
1: the message is that we don't get to control the messaging, right? Mm-hmm. So the media gets to say what we're talking about. We're talking about DEI. I'll give you a great example. So I do a training for a company. I do DEI, for this, do DEI training for this very large organization. And we go down to The real, the the different dynamics and the different dimensions of diversity. For example, one session that I do for them is called, um, Where's That Accent From? And it's talking about language and linguistic bias, which is a huge dimension of diversity that we really get to see on television, that people are treated the way they sound despite the education they may have, Mm -hmm. which is a prime reason why we find certain communities code switch. You mentioned the Caribbean culture. My father's Jamaican. You will never hear me speak in Patois on a professional um, setting. Why? Because I was raised to know what that meant if someone heard it. If someone called the house, I got the message. You put on your good suburban voice because the way you sound is the way people will judge you. So you may have people who are the leading researcher in brain science or neurosurgery, but they have a thick Indian accent and immediately they're discredited and discounted simply because of the way they sound. That's a linguistic bias. Mm-hmm. Or you may have a person that's that doesn't have English as a native language or their first tongue. And because their interpretation or their translation doesn't quite fit our grammatical standards, they're immediately discounted as not being highly intelligent, despite the fact that they may ha- speak five languages and have two PhDs, right? This type of training, these types of conversations are happening in the DEI space. But when you turn on the TV, people make it seem as if DEI is about Black, white, gender, and LGBTQIA+. Despite Mm -hmm. the fact that we're talking about um, age discrimination, Mm -hmm. the fact that we're talking about ableism or even down to body size or colorism, like I go around the world talking about this when I'm in Thailand. Ninety-five percent of the people in Thailand are Thai, but they we and when I'm there, we're talking about the issues around colorism, or if I'm in India, talking about the issues around caste. So these conversations are happening in the DEI space; they're just not what's promoted when people talk about DEI on media platforms.
0: So how do they take back the make the narrative? Because that's a big deal, and there's more outlets now that could reshape it. I mean, I I, I my whether we like it or not, social media is a way, and there's lots of platforms to do that. But it doesn't seem like there's a concerted effort to pull these conversations together um, because in the workplace, you know, if you work in a global company, many of the things that you said, you know, language bias, um, ethnicity bias, and particularly if you're working cross borders, and you don't understand the, the, the country, um, culture, cultural perspectives, you're going to step in poo. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't really talk about the need for that as part of, or I'm not seeing that isn't that being talked about in terms of how do we have that? How do we, how do we bring those kinds of things in and even where you find them? Yeah, so part of it, even with social media, we have to realize
1: a few things. One, the mainstream media still gets the bulk of the conversation that's had from a media perspective. The second thing is we've even seen things go before Congress and the Senate about how the algorithms on social media are designed to give you information that supports what you already believe. hmm Um, And so if I am a person that's really not interested in DEI, guess what? The algorithm doesn't send DEI information to my feed. And so we're not, social media has been, while it gives us a platform to talk about these things, we're only talking about them to people who already probably know it, Mm -hmm. want to hear about it, and already know what we're talking about anyway. Essentially, social media is preaching
0: to your choir. Okay. That's the whole idea of the echo chamber and hearing only what is pleasing to you absolutely and and so when you go into a company and you're doing the training at this next level or trying to Um, let's start at the beginning so there's an assessment part of it and then we move into the before we move into trying to do change out of it how do you capture the attention of people who that's not my issue Mm -hmm.
1: So I this is now this will if I could pick a second superpower, this would be it. <laughs> I am Denise, listen, I am so good about tying stuff to money. The 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 great thing, the gift that I had early on in my career um, and really early on in my education is that I was a money person. Mm -hmm. I was always down to people care about money. If you can't tie what you're doing to some sort of revenue, how we make spend or save money, then no one's listening. Mm -hmm. And so when I go into organizations, my very first question is, tell me how you make money. And they want to tell me, oh, these are our DEI issues. These are our training issues. These are our leadership issues. These are our all these lists of things that they think I care about. And I will stop them and say, no, back up. I need to understand how you make money.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: when I understand how they make money and I tie whatever efforts I'm doing to that, it's a game changer.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it,
1: it's a so game changer. So give me an example of that. What would so, that look and feel like? So it depends on what space we're in. So I will say, like, for example, one company I was working with, they were looking at, they wanted me to come and do some DEI training. I said, listen, well, they wanted me to come into a DEI keynote. I said, if you're not really passionate or um, plan to do something around DEI after I speak, then I'm not your speaker. Mm-hmm. I am not interested in being the talking head that makes it seem like you're doing something when you're actually not. hmm they said, "Cool, well, let's talk. What are we doing?" And I said, "Tell me how you make money. Tell me what your strategic plans looks like. Tell me what you plan to do in your market share." So I I go down the list because I have an MBA, so I understand the insides of business. <laughs> and they said, "Hey, we're looking to expand in the South Florida market. Awesome! So tell me about your Latino Latinx population. What do you mean?" Tell me, because you, if you're spanning to South Florida and you don't have lat, Latinx representation on your boards, on your leadership team, on your decision making, on your marketing, you're not going to be successful.
0: Mm-hmm. And they
1: say, well, oh, well, we have a team. I said, oh, cool. Let me see your in-language marketing materials. And everybody looked around like, what does she mean? What is, what is in-language marketing materials? So you mean to tell me you want to tap into the South Florida market? And one, you don't know what in-language materials are. And two, you don't have any, which would be having materials in Spanish or in whatever language. No. So, and I said, I can tell you right now, I haven't met the team. I don't know who they are, what they are, what they look like, but I can guarantee you do not have Latinx representation on that leadership team. Mm -hmm. And I was right. And I was like, you're going to spend all this money trying to gain market share, and it's going to fail because you don't have the proper representation to gain the market share that you're trying to capture. Take it how you want.
0: And and then make a decision on it. And then make a decision. Mm -hmm. But
1: I wouldn't have been able to have that conversation until I was able to sit down and say, tell me how you make money. What's your strategic plan? Where are you going? What do you want to be doing? Who is your target market? Who do you want your target market to be? Because I understand business, I can tie these initiatives to a physical a physical outcome.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: it's not just what well, I tell them all the time when I'm talking to organizations about this, doing DEI and having systemic DEI practices throughout your organization, it's not just what's socially right, because it's socially right as well, but it's also what's physically right. In that one, it helps you make money. But many consumers now, many larger companies are literally going to people and saying, Hey, what does your team look like? The NASDAQ just dropped something, was it a couple months ago? Talking about organizations having to have representation on their boards mm-hmm. in order. This is huge. And mm-hmm. so, what we're saying now is if you aren't doing this, you have funders. Even if you're a nonprofit, do you have people who fund or donate or do philanthropic stuff for nonprofits giving this money away that are saying, hey, if you aren't diversified, you aren't getting our money.
0: Hmm. particularly in the nonprofit. I am seeing it emerge a little bit more out of the nonprofit or um, space. F- Absolutely. Yeah. As, and also as a brand, a way to connect to your brand um, in terms of doing it. All right. So where do you see it going? Where do you see where where we're headed in terms of, of uh, next steps? It's
1: crazy. When I think about that, we're at a very pivotal point where things could go amazingly well or horribly wrong. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, because we're at this pivotal point where, like you said, everyone is, is in the echo chamber. Yep. And if we don't get out of those echo chambers we will create these silos that are pitted against one another that don't really exist like even think about the political environment we're in the messaging we get is there there are only two sides to this everybody's on this side or everybody's on that side mm-hmm. And because we're in this echo chamber, that's kind of what we've come to believe. Mm -hmm. And so these these different ideas never get a chance to come and converse with one another. Mm -hmm. Like we said, on social media, if you are a Democrat, you get Democratic messaging. Mm -hmm. If you are a staunch Republican, you get Republican messaging. And no one says, you know what? The reality is the majority of people, if given access to information, would likely be independent. I mean, they may lean to one side or the other, mm-hmm. but this idea that we are completely polarized mm-hmm. is foolishness. Mm-hmm. And so if we can get out of those echo chambers, this can go very well. But if we don't get that chance to get out of those echo chambers, we're going to get more and more and more polarized. And that's not a good thing for anyone.
0: Yeah, but uh, across the board. So that's what you've talked about is, okay, if I'm the head of an organization, if I'm you know, in the world politics, that kind of thing. Well, you know what? I can kind of see a nice line of sight. But I'm, you know, I'm Denise Cooper. I'm in the middle of the organization. All I'm trying to do is get my kids to school or, you know, find a date, you know, (laughs) something. (laughs) Go out on Saturday night, have a good time, come home and go to bed, go to sleep. You know, (laughs) maybe every now and then take a vacation, you know, buy a house. Why should I care?
1: Because Denise Cooper wants to get the promotion that she wants and the pay that she deserves. And this very conversation is can be the obstacle to that happening. Mm-hmm. When companies are not thinking about how they should be diversifying and including that diverse population and pay them equitably, Denise Cooper gets further away from the promotion she should have gotten 15 years ago. Denise Cooper keeps getting passed over. Denise Cooper keeps being knowing that I am a high-performing, high-potential employee, but no one's pouring into me. Denise Cooper remembers, you know what, I'm not a part of the succession plan. And then that child that she's trying to get off the school realizes I may have to take a loan to go to college when Denise Cooper should have gotten the promotion a long time ago and been able to pay for college right out of her pocket without Mm -hmm. her child having to get a loan. So Mm -hmm. this conversation directly impacts the individual because the further this conversation, conversation doesn't go that's the further away they are from getting to where they're supposed to be financially career-wise title-wise all of those things it impacts every single individual
0: so okay I'm still Denise Cooper how do I have this conversation and I'm in the middle of the organization I mean my chances of success are what if I'm if I'm swimming uphill and there are a lot of forces, a lot of environmental decisions. It's kind of going back to your comment earlier. Do I want to be a great basketball player? Or do I want to, or excuse me, a big great runner? Or do I want to be a great dancer? There are a lot of reasons why I may not be able to move from my company today. But I also don't want to continue to be um, marginalized or, and I'll, I won't even say marginalized, looked over, not poured into how do I have this conversation? How do I move the needle when I'm sitting in the middle and I'm listening to this? So I'm a middle manager. I may be a a top performer. You know, I may be an IT specialist. I might be somebody who really has the potential. But how do I bring this up? Because ultimately, you know, in companies, your boss is kind of the, you know, the person who can either make you or break you. That's, and that's part
1: of the problem. We often don't think about how to strategize our careers because yep. when someone tells me um, and I've had this conversation with people, my boss is my boss is my biggest obstacle. My boss can make or break my career. And I will say, if your boss can make or break your career, you don't have a network.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I One of my favorite phrases comes from the black godfather who says, I don't have problems. I have friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we talk about is understanding the network. One of the first things I do, especially with my young coaches, my young clients that companies will bring me in to say, Hey, we have identified our high performer, high potential young new employees. We want to get them in coaching immediately. And so they have a better chance, better outcomes. The first thing I tell them is we need to build your career board of directors. hmm and then that career board of directors is your sponsors, your advocates, your mentors and your influencers. And I immediately have them build that out because guess what? We're all going to run into that person who is not on our side. Yep. And when that happens, do you have the people to work around that person? Mm-hmm. If your answer is no, then you're going to be stuck for a little while. Yeah. But if your answer is yes, then it's a game changer. And I've literally worked with clients that came to me and said, okay, Dietra, I finally ran into that person mm-hmm. that is not on my side. Time to activate your board. I just recently had a client that had that, and she was pretty high up. She was an SVP trying to get to a, a regional um, vice president, uh, a regional SVP. And she had a boss that really wasn't on her side. But guess what? We built her board of directors. We worked around them, and she ended up becoming her boss's boss.
0: All right. Now that's what I'm talking about. You know, if you can't if you can't move the rock, go around the rock. Exactly. <laughs> so, I tell people all the
1: time it is so important to build that career board of directors because one person should not be an obstacle. Yeah. But the other side of it too is recognizing what you need to get where you are. I've had clients that had bosses and they could not work around them and ultimately we had to say this is not your place. Mm-hmm. You you're, you have to leave here. That, mm-hmm. That's bottom line. But while you're here, because you're not in a position to just leave your job and without a job, while you're here, let's create a plan of the things you need to attain between now and your departure. Mm-hmm. So this is not just, okay, I'm just here at infinitum. I'm going to go crazy. This is every day we come in here, we know what we're working towards because these are the few things that we have to get in order to be successful elsewhere. And while I'm here under this person, I'm going to get those things. Yeah, yeah.
0: And even in going to the next place, I still remind people 70, 75, 80%, maybe higher than that now, jobs are really being found through your network. They're not being found through Indeed and Glassdoor. I mean, those are good places to kind of sort of source, but when it comes down to being differentiated and having an opportunity, no, it is who you know.
1: Exactly, especially at the higher levels. Like, when was the last time you saw a CEO position posted on LinkedIn? Yeah, like (laughs) nobody's posted. For the Mm -hmm. most part, those high-level positions—one, they're through your network. They're hiring Mm -hmm. top recruiters to go after these people. They're not posting a regional vice president on Indeed.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, and not not only that, even when you're in the in the spread forward. One of the things, one of the facts that came through two weeks ago, I was talking to, uh, and looking at looking up in preparation for one other podcast was that the difference between how men prepare for the senior positions and women pre, um, prepare for it. And one of the things that stands out in the list of five that comes out is the fact that men have a network so wide and, and, and deep. That they can go to them and get the questions that are going to be asked, the help that they're going to, you know, in terms of answering those questions, how to put together those presentations that are necessary to demonstrate that you're ready. Um, for the position that you're talking to, where women have a, a shallow network or they don't access their network at all. They don't ask anybody. They help them think about it. And they're not looking to find that person who's one or two degrees away from the people who are on the selection board. So invariably, they go in blind, where these guys go in fully prepared with a book, resumes on everybody. They know what's happening with them, who they are, who they know, where they went to school, the whole thing. And so this idea of preparation is just a different idea when it comes to, um, you know, at different levels and how you're being mentored and how you're accessing your network so that you can be prepared to show your superpower and how your superpower can actually benefit someone else. Absolutely. I see it quite often that people don't tap
1: into their network. Anytime I'm working with a client that is going for a position, my first question is, who do we know over there? Mm -hmm. Who can you send a message to? And sometimes it's not even about getting the questions. It's about calling someone and saying, hey, you're connected to the supervisor over there. Can you put in a good word for me? And the attitude that someone has coming into an interview when they've already heard great things about you is a very different attitude when they come into an interview and they have no clue who you are aside from a piece of paper.
0: Yeah. Or even even if, you know, because I even say there's different ways because people say, no, they won't say anything. I said then, can you ask them to tell you about the hiring manager? What are their likes? What are their dislikes? What are they looking for? Why is the position open? Was it a move, a promotion for somebody else? Was it somebody was fired? Or is it a brand new vacancy? What have you heard about that person in terms of how they work and how they communicate, how they like to be spoken to? So that if nothing else, when you get before that person, you understand who you're talking to. You're not just kind of winging it when you walk into that door.
1: Absolutely. And that's the worst thing to do. I, I, I mean, even with most of my clients, we, when we're interviewing, we do interview prep. Like, yeah. what are those questions you might get asked? What Are, are you prepared to answer any question? Even down to, I, I often tell them, I'm preparing you like I'm preparing you for a political debate. Yeah, um, Mainly because when you think about political debates, every person that goes, every politician, a potential politician that goes into a political debate, they have their talking points. Mm-hmm. They want you to know the top three things that should matter to you about them or against their opponent. Right. When you go into your interview, you should have the very same thing. What are the highlights as it relates to you and this job that no matter what they ask you, you want to make sure that you get around to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. But, you know, we run into that time frame here. So takeaways for the day guys are these, as you think about this idea of bringing together an environment of, of, collaboration, cohesiveness, a community so that everybody's focused on the next thing. Deidre's lessons out of this are, tell us a couple of them.
1: I would say one, change your idea around allyship. That's a big one for me. Mm -hmm. Move from being an ally to having allegiance, recognizing that in the process of getting this thing right, you may not always be on the quote unquote winning side. So that's number one for me. Number two would be to go out and educate yourself, understand what's going on and be very clear and specific about what you can do tangibly to impact it. And then thirdly, as you're going around and you're advocating for yourself, always be looking around for who else you can advocate for.
0: All right, guys, Deidre Diles, how can they find out from more about you or connect with you?
1: Absolutely. So you can always find me talking about social media on Instagram. I am Deetra underscore Giles. That's D E T H R A underscore G I L E S also on LinkedIn. I am there as well. You can find me Deetra Giles on LinkedIn, but for a deeper dive, I also have a podcast. It's the happily ever employed podcast and they're welcome to listen to that as well.
0: All right, then you heard it first here. And all of that information will be in the show notes. Guys, this is just this is the kind of conversation that starts in the boardroom and works it way all the way down to your first job. Whoever you are, this is a place where this conversation is a place that's going to help you manifest what it is you want to get you from where you are now to where you want to be and close the gap so you know what i'm going to say if you liked it share this podcast if you didn't like it share the podcast you know why because i guarantee it will be a conversation that's going to help you figure out what it takes for you to be the best that you can be and close the gap until again see ya okay here's the end of it so five four three, two, one. Well, maybe it's not the end. It could be edited and put in the beginning. So use your best judgment on where this goes. There's always a question around this idea of DEI, just diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as we move forward, one big question comes out and that is why we're not making better, faster, more, what seems like more progress. And, it, and the conversation often goes of a, a, a problem with either senior li- leadership is not committed or middle management is not committed or as a nation, we're not committed. This conversation today with Dietra Giles um, is gonna be an interesting one in that we touch upon ev- what everybody can do to bring this forward. Not big things, but small things, shifts that you can make that will, in fact, help you be the best person that you possibly can be, regardless of the role that you play at work. So I hope that you'll take a moment, take a listen to this, because Deidre is on fire. Talk to you soon. Hey, Deidre.